0: Hello and welcome to the Harvard Center for International Development's weekly podcast. The current exodus of Venezuelans has generated the largest migration crisis of its kind in recent Latin American history, as Human Rights Watch has pointed out in its most recent report. More than 2.3 million Venezuelans have left their country since 2014, according to the United Nations, and many others have left whose cases have not been registered by authorities. Venezuelans are fleeing their country for multiple reasons, which include severe shortages of medicine, medical supplies, and food, extremely high rates of violent crime, hyperinflation, and thousands of arbitrary arrests, torture, and other abuses against detainees. Today on CID's Speaker Series podcast, Nizara Faki, mid-career student at the Harvard Kennedy School, interviews Jose Miguel Vivanco, director of the America's Division of Human Rights Watch and a general expert on Latin America who provides insight on this mass exodus and the current humanitarian crisis in Venezuela and the role of the international community in this crisis.
1: Hello, Jose Miguel Bianco. thank you very much for your time. No, thank you very much for having me here. It is an honor, a pleasure to be back at Harvard. Well, you have been invited to Harvard to talk about the extremely
2: difficult situation of Venezuela on behalf of Human Rights Watch, which is the organization that you represent in the Americas. So, first of all, I want you to tell to the audience a little bit about Human Rights Watch and the work that you have been doing in the region.
1: Human Rights Watch is a non-governmental group that was established 40 years ago. And what the organization does is an assessment with our own resources of human rights conditions pretty much all over the world. And and when we evaluate those conditions we use international human rights instrument to check whether different go- governments in different regions of the world are in compliance with their international human rights obligations after we conduct research in the field we publish reports and in these reports we make specific recommendations for the government but also for the international community because we believe that we could contribute to improve human rights conditions as long as the international community is engaged and is willing and able to exercise pressure on that particular government.
2: Perfect. Jose Miguel, you know that regarding Venezuela, I know and the audience may know that you have been working very hard denouncing the human rights situation in the country since like more than 10 years ago. There is a perspective among some people that thinks outside the country, outside the region, maybe that they're not familiar with what's happening in Latin America, that the situation in Venezuela is almost new or started in 2014 or two or three years ago when the social and economic conditions became worst. But you are an expert in Venezuela. You're an expert on human rights in in the region. And I want you to explain a little bit about how do you see Venezuela since the beginning of this process with President Chavez and then with President Maduro? And in concrete, how did you start your
1: work in Venezuela more than 10 years ago? Sure. But uh, before I, I answer that question, I think it's important to clarify, to explain that Venezuela is not the only country that we follow and, uh, in, in, uh, in Latin America. We pay close attention. We have a lot of uh, research done in other countries in the region, like Mexico, Brazil, Colombia. Ecuador, Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, Nicaragua, etc. However, Venezuela is one of our top priorities in the region. And we have been working on Venezuela for actually very, very long time, more than 25 years, before Maduro, before Chavez, in the 90s. I went to Venezuela several times. I met with the president of Venezuela a couple of times in, in the 90s, and, and some of our research at that time has to deal with uh, police brutality uh, as well as prison problems in Venezuela. But since Chavez was elected, we were very involved in investigating not only cases of issues of police brutality or abuse of power by the police um, and prison problems. Another very important component for us was to watch carefully what was happening with free speech in Venezuela, with ability and capacity of the media, the independent media, to keep reporting on Venezuela, as well as the ability of the judiciary to work freely with full respect for its independence and autonomy. And what we were able to establish actually several years ago when Chavez was around, was that there were several and very serious setbacks in Venezuela, serious issues regarding particularly civil society, free speech, as well as the ability of the the judiciary to exercise some degree of checks and balance on, on the executive branch. Ten years ago... I went to Venezuela to release a comprehensive report about the record of Chavez. We had a press conference, but after the press conference, the uh, government of Venezuela decided to arrest me and my colleague who accompanied me to this uh, mission. And, And we were deported at gunpoint to Brazil at midnight. And that actually is something unusual. The first time that something like that happens to Human Rights Watch. And that was a reflection of the lack of tolerance and authoritarian tendencies of the administration of Chávez, who was not willing to accept an objective evaluation of its already uh, very, very questionable human rights record.
2: Thank you, José Miguel. And if we think in perspective about the Venezuelan situation, and I ask you to maybe think about breaking points during the last 10 years, are you able to do a kind of explanation about what do you think that are the most important breaking points, including what has happened in 2014 and 2017,
1: of course. In the case of Venezuela, during the Chavez administration, let's say 10 years ago, the most important setbacks, I think, with regard to freedom of expression was the fact that the government decided that the permission to the media, the broadcasting media in particular, radio and TV, to exist, to function, depends on the content of the news. In other words, if they were broadcasting news that were critical of the government, the government was entitled to suspend the license for that TV channel. And that happens with RCTV, which was at that point uh, one of the main TV channels in Venezuela. And in addition, they set up a mechanism composed by a group of five, if I'm not mistaken, employees, bureaucrats, appointed all of them by the government to censor the media. The acronym of that institution is called CONATEL, which is essentially a governmental censorship mechanism that has the ability to impose very heavy fines on the media and eventually even to cancel or suspend the license of that that media. The second most aggressive measure taken during the government of Chavez was to change the structure of the Supreme Court. That happens in 2004, I mean, 14 years ago. At that time, the Supreme Court has only 20 justices, and actually was pretty much divided in two halves. Ten of those 20 were sort of sympathetic to Chavez. The other ten were sympathetic to the opposition to Chavez. So the jurisprudence of that Supreme Court until 2004 was pretty much erratic, depending on the composition of the chamber of the Supreme Court dealing with a particular issue. It was difficult to predict. Chavez was upset by one particular ruling of the, of the Supreme Court and decided you know, overnight to change the structure of the Supreme Court, from 20 judges to 32 justices. And he had 12 new justices of the Supreme Court, most of them, all of them actually, coming from the ruling party. Since 2004, since they changed the structure of the Supreme Court, the whole jurisprudence Every single decision of the Supreme Court of Venezuela has been pro-government. Before that was erratic, was, you know, you found decisions that were close to the government or close to the opposition. Since 2004 until today, the Supreme Court of, of Venezuela became just subordinated fully to the executive branch. Th- those two examples I think are, are extremely important to show the deterioration of human rights conditions in Venezuela lately. When Chavez was gone and Maduro was facing public demonstrations on the streets, those demonstrations were faced with tremendous brutality, tremendous, you know, brutal repression, And the security forces act with full impunity and went after and killed many demonstrators, peaceful demonstrators, or torture them or rape some of them or prosecute them under military jurisdiction, civilians in military installations prosecuted for demonstrating on the streets of Venezuela in martial courts with no due process. Or the intelligence services called in Venezuela Sebin decided just to grab some citizens from their home and put them in an installation controlled by the intelligence services with no due process, no protection, no legal defense, nothing. You know? In the last I would say in the last three years under the Maduro administration the degree of brutality and the atrocities committed by security forces developed dramatically?
2: Yes, actually, in 2014, as Human Rights Watch has reported, there were more than 3,000 detainees in the context of protests. And in 2017, this data is almost the double. I mean, almost 7,000 people were detained in the context of protests. So if you see the data in the last... Let's say 20 years, 30 years. The available data that Provea, for example, has, or the the official data also that that it's been published, and the data that has been gathered by Foro Penal, you see that I mean, in the recent history, Venezuela never before faced a situation like that in which more than 6,000 people were detained in one year. So, what do you think are the reasons behind that? Why the government? decided to act with such a brutality against
1: the opposition and against the demonstrators in the country. You are completely right. All the data shows that the government, during the last four years, have engaged in gross and massive violations of human rights. Different type of violations. That includes executions, include torture, cruel and inhuman treatment, illegal arrests, massively. You know, they arrest anyone. And they release those prisoners whenever they wish, censorship, etc. So it's typically the record of the Venezuelan government, the record of dictatorship. That is very similar, and there are no credible electoral mechanisms to prevent fraud, for instance, during the electoral process. Essentially, Venezuela is uh, run today by a dictator, an illegitimate government. And why this is going on in Venezuela? Because they can. That is as simple as that. Because there is a a total concentration of power. Because there is not a single institution in Venezuela capable to challenge the government, capable to prevent abuses, to sanction, to punish perpetrators of gross violations of human rights or corruption or narco-trafficking, everything is under the control of the government. The Venezuelan government today is a civic military administration. The military are part of the government, part of the cabinet. Many of key decisions, not only in terms of security, but also the economy and social programs are taken by generals of the, of the Venezuelan army. So unfortunately, the current government and the military have captured the state. And the people of Venezuela have been abducted by this regime. And there is no real effective protection for the victims of human rights abuses, for those political prisoners, for the media, for journalists, for civil society, for the students, for the union leaders who dare to exercise their fundamental rights and freedoms. So the only actually remedy available is pressure from the international community.
2: Regarding that pressure, Jose Miguel, as you said, the situation in Venezuela is not new. You mentioned what happened in 2004, for example, with the Supreme Court and how the government controlled the judicial system since that time. You also mentioned what happened with the freedom of speech, with RCTV. You, yourself, you were detained as a human rights defender, as a representative of one of the most important NGOs in the world. And... It happened more than 10 years ago. Yeah. So why the reaction of the international community was not the same 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, when this situation happened, when this situation started? And in that sense, I want your opinion regarding what would happen if the international community
1: would react before. Yes, you're right. The abuses in Venezuela has been happening, and this concentration of power is not new. It is something that has been orchestrated many, many years ago. And why the international community was willing to look at the other way, to ignore the abuses and the deterioration of the democratic order in Venezuela? Because Venezuela is a powerhouse. Because Venezuela has the largest reserve of oil, in the world, Um, because Venezuela was, under Chavez, ready to use that economic power to influence policy in Latin America. And by the way, there were many governments in the region at that time that were pretty sympathetic ideologically with the government of Venezuela. So conditions in the region were actually not ripe for... Any type of serious criticism or assessment of human rights in Venezuela, Chavez was very aggressive into creating some sort of a Bolivarian movement in the whole region to support his government, and I think he was he was pretty effective. So there were only there was only occasional criticism, isolated criticism of the Venezuelan government. I remember that with some government officials. Or some important authorities in the region raised some questions about Venezuela. Chavez' reaction was as, you know, kind of a bully, based on essentially insults and dramatic overreaction. And that was a very effective tool used by Chavez to intimidate anyone who criticized him. So those conditions have been changing. Venezuela, since, you know, if you look at the Venezuela 10 years ago, the Venezuela today is uh, actually a disaster. It's going through a catastrophe in terms of inflation, economic development, social welfares. I mean, the number of Venezuelans who are unable to eat a meal a day is in the millions. I mean, the shortages of food and medicine, hospitals in Venezuela are deprived of the basic stuff, and they don't have vaccines to control diseases that have been under control in Latin America for decades. And that is what explains, in addition to the repression, in addition to the insecurity, the exodus, massive exodus of Venezuelans today who are escaping from Venezuela, moving to another countries in Latin America.
2: So regarding that exodus, Jose Miguel, according to the last report that Human Rights Watch published, I think this month, actually, about the exodus of of Venezuelans to to the region, the estimation that Human Rights Watch showed there is of about 2.3 million Venezuelans that have left the country since 2014 due the situation in the country. I mean, not a forced mobilization. I want you to to explain to the audience a little bit what's happening now with that specific issue. Maybe if you can summarize the principal reasons, two or three reasons that motivate that huge mobilization, and also what is the response of the Venezuelan government to this problem, and what has been the response of the region, particularly the countries that are most affected, such as Colombia, Peru, maybe Ecuador, and where or not you consider that the region is doing the best that they can do to assess this huge problem?
1: Look, there have been, in the past, migration from some countries in the region to others. Interestingly enough, during the military dictatorships in the 70s, there were many people from Argentina, from Chile, Uruguay, Brazil, who end up in Venezuela. Many of them. Now, the scale of this immigration, this exodus, where hundreds of thousands, thousands of people are crossing the border per day, and many of them are leaving Venezuela. I have been uh, recently in Cucuta, uh, the border with, with Venezuela, Colombia, Venezuela, and the numbers, the records that the Colombian government is able to show us, or the Brazilian government on the other border in Roraima, shows that this actually immigration has no presence in Latin America. This is really massive, massive. And we are referring to 2.3 million Venezuelans who have left the country in the last four years. But that is those ones who have been registered. You know? And there are many, many, many hundreds of people who are not subject to this registration. There is no record of them. The fact of the matter is that there are one million Venezuelans today under those conditions in recent immigration of uh, Venezuelans in Colombia and in Chile, in Ecuador, in Peru, Argentina, and Brazil. There you know thousands of Venezuelans who are escaping uh, from Maduro. Now, the only responsible for this crisis is the government of Venezuela. This is pretty clear. And interestingly enough, the government of Venezuela is the only one who deny this phenomenon. They passionately argued that the issue of immigration from Venezuela is part of some sort of international campaign to discredit the Bolivarian revolution. As a matter of fact, they argued publicly with straight face that there are many Colombians who want to move from Colombia to Venezuela (laughs) and that there are many Venezuelans who are now living outside Venezuela who are desperate to come back to Venezuela. So what I think is actually criminal for any government in the world is to deny the extent and the gravity of the humanitarian crisis. Because if they are in denial, it's impossible for the international community to provide the resources, the medicine, the vaccines, the food that the most poor Venezuelans are desperate to get, because you have no cooperation whatsoever from the government of Venezuela. And they are in denial because for ideological reasons, they don't want to accept that the whole Project the whole ideological program that they have implemented for almost two decades have failed completely. This is actually probably one of the most serious issues that the region is facing today. How do you deal with increasing number of Venezuelans? How do you offer them jobs and opportunities, health and protection and schools? The governments in the region are concern, obviously, with any symptoms of xenophobia. And this is uh, actually a problem that doesn't have an easy solution. We are pressing these governments, democratic governments in the region, to, to try to establish a uniform policies and practices to deal with this issue so these Venezuelans are able to get a similar treatment in Argentina and in Brazil or Ecuador. And and also we are promoting some ideas like, for instance, to see whether they could share the burden according to the size of the economy, those countries, and to offer them temporary protection for all of these refugees, regardless of the reasons why they are leaving Venezuela.
2: In order to conclude, I want you to to explain to the audience what is your opinion about the international pressure that's now going on regarding Venezuela? We have the Lima Group, group of countries, of governments of Latin America and Canada that have been working to, especially, to make pressure on the Venezuelan situation. We have the, a recent investigation, preliminary investigation of International Criminal Court. We have also the pressure from the Organization of American States. We have the pressure from European Union, some parliaments in Europe, in the region, and we also have the, as you, as you know, the pressure from the United Nations High Commissioner on Human Rights and the Human Rights Council. So, putting that in perspective, what, what is your opinion about this pressure and individual sanctions that have issued by the United States and Canada? And finally, if you think there is hope that following that path that the international community is now tracing in the region will be useful to change the situation in the country.
1: Actually, that is one of the good news that we could report. It's really, really hard to be reporting good news about Venezuela. But in my sense, the level of pressure that the Venezuelan dictatorship is suffering is unprecedented, in Latin America at least. At global level, probably is equivalent to the pressure that the racist South African government suffered at some point during the apartheid period when Mandela was in prison. The fact that you have the whole European Union on the same line with Canada and the U.S. and willing to apply individual sanctions, sanctions that help to freeze assets and visas, to top. Members of the dictatorship, civilians, military, members of the judiciary, the Chief Justice of Venezuela, for instance, is subject of this type of sanctions, is pretty unique, which reveals the lack of prestige or the isolation of this dictatorship, the lack of legitimacy. But also the fact that the international community is frustrated and tired to frankly be quite passively observing how conditions are getting worse and worse every day in Venezuela. And this idea of exercising pressure to isolate Venezuela, for instance, to to cancel the invitation, for instance, to Venezuela to participate in regional meetings. Venezuela is the only government, Maduro is the only government that is excluded from those meetings, or to expel Venezuela, for instance, from an organization like Mercosur in South America. I think that all of that is very, very much welcome and very helpful, very useful, in order to highlight that Venezuela at global level is considered a serious case of chronic and deplorable and massive human rights violations. The fact that in ICC, the top tribunal in the world, as you say, Nizar, is uh, investigating Venezuela, but also now six governments from this hemisphere are filing a petition before the ICC, the the International Criminal Court on Grounds of Crimes Against Humanity, I think is a welcome development. My hope is that thanks to this pretty much unanimous concern with Venezuela in this hemisphere, but as well as in other regions of the world, we will have to see progress on human rights. There is no way that the dictatorship with this uh, very precarious economic and social um, uh, conditions there, with the degree of frustration that exists in Venezuela domestically with this humanitarian crisis, will continue doing business as usual without taking into account this attention and, and sanctions and isolation that they are suffering from from the main democracies in the world. Thank you very much, José Miguel. On the contrary, thank you very much for having me.
0: If you want to learn more about CID's research and events, please visit cid.harvard.edu. See you next week.